0: everyone. You're listening to Long Story Short, a podcast that provides tactical insight on common challenges faced when building a company or career. I'm your host, Dan Fleming, an investor at Folklore Ventures. Every episode, I chat with a founder, operator, or expert to learn how they navigated a decision or challenge. The purpose is to be reliably short and hyper targeted, to keep the conversation narrow, but provide a broad range of perspectives. By focusing on common obstacles, I hope you can borrow insight. And help frame your thinking when faced with similar challenges. Let's get into this week's episode. My guest today is Tom Gallup, a product manager at Spriggy, one of Australia's fastest growing startups. Tom and I are close friends, and when I told him I was launching a podcast, he kindly volunteered to help out with a few test runs. When chatting about his transition from corporates to startups, it was clear there were relevant insights for people looking to make a similar move, so we decided to roll it out as an early episode. Some background on Tom, he started his career as an M&A lawyer at Minter Ellison before joining Spriggy in 2020 to carve out a career in product management. Spriggy's aim is to improve financial literacy in kids by empowering them to manage their money as they grow up. Their flagship Pocket Money app allows parents to transfer pocket money, oversee savings goals and track spending whilst kids learn by earning, saving and spending. They recently raised a 45 mil Series B led by NAB Ventures have made a move into cashless canteen payments, and are in the early stages of releasing an investment app aimed at families. With now over 500,000 families as members, they're well on their way to being a household name. In this conversation, I chat with Tom about how he navigated his move from law into startups, why product management was his landing pad, and the considerations and misconceptions along the way. There has never been a better time to join an Aussie startup. However, making that transition can seem overwhelming with unconventional companies and unfamiliar roles. As people reassess their paths in a post COVID environment, I hope this conversation can provide some insight on why startups could be a great next step. Let's dive in. Tom, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show
1: thanks a lot Danrea really great to be here I just uh was a little bit thrown I must admit by you calling me Tom that was more formal than I was expecting but you'll have to uh you'll have to accept me calling you Flem from time to time
0: <laughs> it's fair enough it's only my second podcast so trying to keep things formal um well not actually sure why I'm trying to keep things formal as it's definitely not my style but um but let's roll with it
1: don't worry you are uh, you sound like an absolute natural. <laughs>
0: thank you now before we jump into it i just wanted to say congrats on the recent raise you must be stoked with the outcome
1: oh it was an awesome time to be uh, involved with springy i think full credit to mario and alex uh, i think it was the culmination of a lot of hard work on on uh, on their end but also just a bit of validation for what we're doing here so yeah totally just excited to be a part of it
0: yeah awesome it's a massive milestone but quickly superseded by being a guest on this podcast no doubt Absolutely. <laughs> so, Tom, we've known each other for a number of years now, well before you joined Spriggy through uni and your days as a lawyer. To kick things off, I'd love for you to share what motivated you to leave law for early stage startups.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think um, for me, uh, I wouldn't say that I was ever a career lawyer from the outset. I kind of always had an idea that it would be a great place to start a good base skill set to develop. Um, you know, particularly through the study of law at uni and then also just those core skills that you get um, joining a big a big law firm. Uh, and then I guess kind of middle of last year, like a lot of people, I was kind of just doing a bit of self-reflection and, you know, that period during COVID got me thinking. And um, look, I didn't hate being a lawyer at the time, but I just definitely had a sense that um, I wasn't really making an impact. And like, I don't necessarily mean like making an altruistic uh, 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 making an impact on like an altruistic level. I, I just felt like, you know, anything that I did wasn't particularly um, meaningful and it wasn't really moving any needles for better or worse. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not the most decisive person, but I, I certainly get a kick out of the feeling that um, making a decision, good or bad, um, might have an impact. And, you know, whether it is um, a positive or a negative, you just kind of have to deal with that. And, and yeah, my feeling was that during that period, um, I'd I'd been doing it for two or three years and I I just, uh, I wasn't getting that.
0: So thinking about that first move, how did you go about discovering and exploring startups as an option?
1: Yeah, I think, um, for me, as you kind of just alluded to, like anything was on the table, I was kind of open to taking a move that would give me a little bit of a, uh, like an injection into my career and, and give me a bit more excitement day to day. Um, I think, you know often it's tempting to try and recreate the wheel when you're giving advice on things like this but um i'll probably just repeat what a lot of other people hear and i think it's just so true that you just got to go out and, and meet as many people as you can um for me i met with people from quite a few different industries i met a few consultants um i was fortunate enough to be introduced to a few startup founders uh, i even kind of t- thought about potentially going back and doing more study but um yeah just met with people made a little bit of a pitch pitch was just you know this is who I am this is what I've got uh, I'm keen to start from scratch if that just means that uh, I'll be able to get on a trage- trajectory that that does excite me more um yeah and I think like if you go into these things with an open mind you, you can be pretty surprised by what you discover um and yeah like I think I'm sure it's the same for lawyers as it is for accountants bankers um you get a pretty narrow view of the job market if that's where your career path starts. Uh, you kind of understand what it is to be in your field and you can probably empathise with other people in professional services. Um, but other than that, you're quite blind. And I think it's quite funny when you, when you do step out of that. I had a conversation with a friend not that long ago and he was kind of bemoaning the fact that the only place you can you can make money uh, is, is as a lawyer or banker. And I think that's is obviously so not true. Um, but it is a reflection of the way that, um, I guess, junior people in, those, in these places uh, are kind of trained to think.
0: I imagine there's quite a few early stage Canberra employees that would firmly disagree with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's so many options out there and with rich information, easier to access than ever. I'd just encourage people to go out and listen to how I built this with Guy Ross or Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman and, and get an idea of what might, what, what might interest them. Um, and then just badger as many people as you can to learn more and get closer to an opportunity. Um, but obviously I was super fortunate that a friend of mine is a founder of another successful startup and then uh, put me in touch with the guys at Spriggy and, yeah, I've never looked back and, um, yeah, I, I don't kind of, I definitely don't take for granted the, the little bit of fortune I was, I was given there.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point and I absolutely agree that the accessibility in the startup community is really quite unique. And regardless of whether you have an existing network or not, people's general willingness to give time and advice is quite incredible. And I strongly suggest to listeners who are looking to make a move into startups that they reach out to as many people as possible and and where you can to join programs such as the Startmate Fellowship to really extend your reach and try to get different perspectives from, from people in the community.
1: Absolutely. I think the willingness of people to give their time is, um, it's, yeah, it's super generous, but it's also selfless. Like the, the, the people that I spoke to before I kind of embarked on this journey officially, uh, and then also the people I've been put in contact with since, I think I've already been fortunate to sit down and learn from um, a handful of PMs, from other companies. And I just don't think you get that in a lot of other industries where people are so willing to share information that may not benefit the company that they're working for or the mission that they're on, um, but they're just willing to help other people. It's it's pretty awesome.
0: So revisiting a point you made earlier around making money, remuneration is a common barrier for people making a move into early stage startups, largely because founders can't pay market rates in the early stages. How did you think about remuneration as a trade-off?
1: Well, you've already made the Canva reference. I think if we're, all in it to, if we're all in it to be working for the next unicorn. No, right? I <laughs> think funny. in all seriousness, I think um, I'd start by saying it's ignorant advice to tell people that they, they shouldn't think about money at all because life circumstances are so varied and, and I was super fortunate that the timing really made sense for me. Um, I was able to decide to, to prioritise my future career prospects by making a sacrifice at, at a relatively early phase, but plenty of people at my age, I was, I was 27 at the time, I know I look a lot younger than that, um, have a mortgage or kids, so it might be really hard. Um, and I've said to quite a few people since that, take the chance while you can, because I think otherwise, it, it's easy to see how you can become dependent on the salary that you're on. But, you know, the other part of it is that for me, it was super exciting to own a part of the company I was working for as well. Um, There aren't too many cameras out there, but aligning your hard work with the company's success and being able to move the needle with the effort you put in is, is a pretty cool feeling. And, you know, if all things go well, obviously it's likely to come back and reward you financially in the long run. So, you know, things can go full
0: circle. So having worked out that startups are an option, how did you land on product management? Oh, for me, I, I was keen to find a role that would, would keep
1: building the skills I'd picked up as a lawyer, but also broaden my skill set as well. And you know, After doing some discovery on where I might fit, I, I was searching pretty aggressively for product and, and generalist ops roles. Um, when I was deciding what practice group to settle in as a graduate lawyer, one of my seniors told me to always make career decisions that will leave as many doors open as possible until you're absolutely sure you want to specialize. And I think the beauty of product management is that you were picking up such a wide array of skills that could be applied to so many different roles down the track. And yeah, that was a pretty uh, enticing prospect for me.
0: And what are those skills that you've called out that made product management or generalist ops the logical path?
1: I think it's an awkward question talking about those skills that you have, especially given I am still relatively junior. Um, But, you know, I think if I was to try and talk to that I would say that I guess I've always enjoyed working with other people and I think some of the best training you get as a lawyer is is in refining your formal communication skills uh, both written and verbal I can certainly still waffle at times and I hope that isn't apparent for my answers (laughs) on this podcast but I think for the most part I'm a pretty strong communicator Uh, I think I've got a good work ethic and learn quickly, particularly if I am interested in something and look, none of those things are groundbreaking skills. And I think the next thing I'm going to say is likely to make a few eyes roll. But I think if you're going to do product management, you need to enjoy solving problems. Uh, For me, Rarely is a week the same. So you're constantly applying concepts you've picked up to new scenarios. And look, I wasn't a great law student, but I was okay at problem questions. And I think that that training has, has stood me in pretty good stead for the early days uh, in this role. Um, but I think to, like, to return to your original question, you also need a slice of luck. And, you know, my dad always said that careers are a mixture of sliding door moments and you just need to pick the right doors to step through when the opportunities arise. So in terms of how I landed my, my current role, um, it's a pretty accurate reflection of, of how I ended up at Spriggy. I, I kind of, I got introduced to Alex, our founder and, and Jake, now the head of growth and a few quiet beers on a Wednesday evening in August turned into an interview process. And then, you know, one moment I was a lawyer and the next I was a, a JPM. That's, junior product manager, manager. Um, Alex says he'll call me that even if I end up as Google's head of product. So yeah, I think I mentioned it before, but I am super fortunate that Alex and Jake were, were looking for a product manager to train from scratch. And I definitely don't take that lightly. I guess the doors uh, slid in my direction during this career step.
0: Colin, I, th- I think it links back to that point you made around just meeting as many people as possible uh, to create that surface area and um, create opportunities for for people to step through. So taking a step back now, I'd love to chat about a common consideration that people think about when choosing a startup, and that is working on problems you are passionate about. So to add a, a little bit more context to this, when I made the move into the startup world, I joined Ragtagged and and didn't expect to be working on lost property at schools and wasn't hyper passionate about lost property, but was drawn to the founders and the opportunity to build a company. So I'd love to get your perspective on why you chose Spriggy and and why kids pocket money.
1: Uh, It's a great question. I think it's it's certainly not the area I thought I would be in this time two years ago, but it it is a pretty easy one to get fired up about getting stuck into. Um, Thinking about ways you can positively impact families and, and set kids up for success is a traditionally sticky area. Um, And yeah, you know, dealing with that space makes it a really easy one to get out of bed for in the morning. But look, if Adam Silva was to call me in 10 years and ask me to help rebuild the MBA's app, I would have to give it some serious thought. But, you know, the problems we're solving at Spriggy, together with the incredible willingness of those around me to like teach and support my career, make it, you know, an awesome, awesome place to learn product and to be at at this stage of my career.
0: You mentioned families and, Spriggy has utility for a number of different users, one being parents. As a product manager, do you think you're at a disadvantage not being a parent? And the broader question being for people interested in being a product manager, do you think they need to be a user?
1: I don't think I'm disadvantaged, but I certainly think it would help if you could literally place yourself in the shoes of the user. But I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think it's a fallacy to suggest that the problem should only be solved by product managers that have faced those problems themselves. Um, It's really important to be able to deeply understand the problems your users are facing and the needs that lead them to your product. But I don't think this means you need to be a parent to understand the importance of setting kids up for financial success and and just generally helping families make one aspect of what is a generally chaotic life uh, a bit easier. I think if if you've got that hunger to find the problems and solve them with the requisite rigor, it doesn't matter how al- aligned your own situation is with, with those of your users. And look, you know, if if I can do a decent job now, I might set hundreds of thousands of Aussie kids on a path to be more responsible with their money. So, you know, whether it's pocket money or basketball, as long as you're identifying the right problems, my early experience in product management is it's it's, it's all in the art of problem solving. And, and I'm fortunate to be doing my best. I'm fortunate to be doing my best at solving some really important problems with some super exceptional people. Um, that being said, I think you could be the most skilled product manager in the world, and if you aren't somewhat invested in the problems you're solving, I'm not sure you'll do the best job. But I think kind of going back to your question about whether you need to be a user to solve the problems, you know, we're about to go really deep into the kids' experience, the kids' kids, the kids' the experience in Spriggy, um, you know, with a particular focus on our teens' product offering, Um, And, you know, although kids are pretty switched on these days, I don't know many 15-year-olds that could product manage that process. So (laughs) um, I guess they're just going to have to have faith in the fact I can still somewhat remember what those days were
0: like. I think that's a really reassuring point for listeners that are thinking about making that first jump into startups, knowing that that's not an additional barrier they need to face, that you don't necessarily need to be a user to solve a user's problems, but rather you just need to be passionate about solving the problems a user is facing or in your case, to just be a child at heart? (laughs) For this particular one, look, I'm not the 15-year-old trying to scab 60
1: cents to buy a Sunny Boy in the lunch line anymore, but I think (laughs) I remember what that was like, so I'm keen to help the next 15-year-olds ensure that they are able to do that in the modern world. But, look, you know, you definitely don't need to be the user, Um, But I think you do really need to care about the users and and try and understand the problems a user is facing as best you can. And look, if you can develop a passion for the problems you're solving and draw that back to the users you're solving them for, then you're definitely
0: on the right path. Awesome. So, Tom, to wrap things up, I usually end with a piece of advice for listeners. And by usually, I mean from a sample size of one episode, that's what (laughs) I did. (laughs) But today we're going to go wild, episode two and ask two final questions, one for founders and one for operators. So Tom, for founders looking to attract talent from traditional paths, what's something that Spriggy did well uh, that interested you?
1: Oh, look, um, I think one really important thing for founders, particularly the early the startup, um, is the ability for the founder to be able to tell a story and, and sell the dream of what, what they're trying to do. And I think... Um, in my case, Alex did an amazing job of of yeah selling me the dream. I think, as I mentioned before, we met up for a couple of beers in a very informal sense. Um, we sat there for about three hours, and, and by the end, I was convinced that all I'd ever wanted to do in life was was solve kids' pocket money problems. And he kind of said to me off the cuff that, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna uh, advertise a product manager role in the next couple of weeks, and you know you sh- you should apply." And I kind of I built up a little bit of Dutch courage by that point. And I said to him. Um, why don't you just give me a crack at applying first? And yeah, the rest is history, but um, his ability to be able to sell the dream uh, is, is certainly something that um, he's very good at, but I think that founders can 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 kind of, if they can tap into that um, in their own way, that's definitely an easy way to attract, um, you know,
0: good hungry people. Yeah. It's fascinating how powerful storytelling is. And I think a lot of founders acknowledge the need to be a good storyteller when they're raising capital or are in sales conversations, but can really underrate how powerful storytelling can be when hiring and the ability for a founder to be able to share and communicate their ambition and vision for the future is super appealing for candidates. So Tom, now for operators, what's one piece of advice for people thinking about leaving a corporate for a startup?
1: Look, I think uh, people who give the Nike just do it advice are, are pretty ignorant because, you know, there's heaps of great things about working in a big corporate. And I think if you can find an area of practice that interests you, um, you can have a super rewarding career. But I guess the two small pieces of advice I would give are um, have a look at those above you, your direct manager and then the people above them. And then ask whether you can see yourself doing their role in five to ten years. Because you know, for me, I really loved the team I was in as a lawyer, and I was I was really close to the senior associate and, and one partner in particular. They were great to work with on a personal level, and I enjoyed being being at work with them. Um, but you know, it felt a little bit like sitting in a class at school where the teacher is a legend, but you hate the subject matter. Uh, I couldn't see myself in their shoes, and, and I had a strong sense that once I'd realised that, um, I was heading into a bit of an a, a bit of an an abyss. That was a tongue twister, um, but. Yeah, and I think the second thing that flows straight from that is is if you've had that realisation that you don't love what you're doing, don't wait. Because I think um, you certainly don't need this time stamp on your career passport. And it's amazing how many people say, oh, I think I should just get to two, three, four years, um, get that under my belt, and then I'll move. Because if you're going to make a big career move, the sooner the better. Uh, don't wait because the time spent in a job you don't like is time you could have spent doing something you do enjoy and developing skills that you value. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, um, the more reliant you become on your salary as you climb the ladder of a professional services um, place, the harder it is going to be to take that step back.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. I really appreciate your time today and for sharing your insights and your journey into becoming a product manager at Spriggy. It's um super exciting journey ahead and I'll definitely be cheering you and the team on from the sidelines. Uh, so thanks again.
1: Oh, thanks a lot, Flem. Thanks for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed the chat and obviously look forward to hearing who you have on next, hopefully a slightly bigger fish than me. And I think if, if Cliff or Mel from Canberra are listening, uh, I'd reach out and tell them that it's a very enjoyable experience. But also I'd you know just say that um, if anything about spriggy or product management does pique your interest um feel free to reach out to me love to chat and you know we're growing quickly so always looking for smart interesting driven people to to join the team so yeah thanks a lot
0: love it awesome thanks man thanks for listening today if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and you can follow the journey and related content on twitter using my handle at doing things dan